In today's episode of the Amman Wire podcast. The core challenge facing Islamic finance is a spiritual one. It's an ethical one where we have to want uh, what the divine wants and not want what the divine doesn't want. And I think that's where uh, a lot of the um, sort of persistent skepticism about Islamic finance from its stakeholders, from even its practitioners, uh, originates. And I think we need to kind of address and engage uh, that skepticism uh, in a much more constructive and positive fashion. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to another episode of the Iman Wire podcast. I'm Mohammed Salim from Iman Wire. Today I'm joined by Omar Mughal, who is a corporate and finance lawyer whose practice has involved Islamic business transactions for the better part of uh, the last 15 years. Uh, he's also an adjunct faculty member at the University of Connecticut School of Law, where he teaches courses in Islamic law and Islamic finance, fields in which he's uh, published and, and is a trustee of the Hartford Seminary. He has recently written a, a book which is titled The Socially Responsible Islamic Finance, Character and the Common Good. I want to welcome Omar Gomogo on the show. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Thank you. I think, Omar, you know, one of the things that for most of us, when we think of Islamic finance, we think of just basically one thing, which is interest, basically. And so our idea of what Islamic finance is or Islamic banking is just that interest-free uh, transactions. Um, so we, we very much uh, simplify it. I think in a lot of the ways uh, that some we perceive, for example, if you will, uh, using a crude analogy, the way we look at meat, for example, in our tradition, um, you know, in terms of halal meat, like right, it's we, we think of it just as a, as the slaughtering process. But there's a lot of elements that go into, you know, how the animal is brought and and the ethics of the treatment of animals and and that that tayyib concept, that purity concept that goodness concept of the meat. And I think Islamic finance is not is more than just not having interest. So I think to start off, if you could give an overview of what you think Islamic finance is, what misconceptions Muslims have, and even non-Muslims have about Islamic finance, and, and we could start from there. Uh, that's always the toughest question for me to answer. Uh, what is Islamic finance? Uh, you know, there's a, a certain gap between theory and practice. Uh, there are certain uh, limitations in our understanding uh, of Islamic law and ethics and, and business generally uh, that all feed into uh, certain misunderstandings uh, about Islamic finance. Uh, and yet many of those misunderstandings still uh, hit the point uh, or hit the mark that uh, there seems to be something amiss uh, with Islamic finance. Uh, and certainly there is uh, much more uh, than the prohibition of riba. Uh, that the Sharia offers uh, and, and guides in terms of business transactions. Uh, but that is a key point. Uh, one starts by avoiding uh, the harm, and in this case, a tremendous harm it is, uh, and that of riba. How did you get involved in Islamic finance? Well, where did that interest come from? I sort of stumbled into it, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, at the outset, uh, I had a certain, I, I've always had a certain passion for uh, Islamic law that was uh, private, personal, academic. Uh, and there I was practicing law and decided to join a law firm uh, that had a uh, very strong practice globally uh, in Islamic finance. I thought it, I thought it might be great to uh, live a more holistic life where my personal and academic interests paralleled uh, and were integrated with my professional ones. Uh, but very quickly I found uh, myself in a, in a certain dilemma 
I, I have remained in Islamic finance for the most part. Uh, I have tried to pull myself out of it many times, uh, and yet it would appear that that's where I'm meant to be for whatever reason. Uh, it's been challenging, it's been rewarding, uh, it's been inspiring, uh, and yet there's always been these certain questions that I've had that have persisted uh, about what it is that I'm doing, what it is that we're doing, uh, and uh, you know where the uh, where we should be drawing the lines uh, in terms of uh, proper and improper. I mean, Ian, you've been working in the, in the field for about over fifteen years, so you spoke of some of the challenges. So, what what have been some of the personal challenges in in this field, and and then let's talk about some of the obstacles you see in this field of fi- Islamic finance, and then perhaps we can get into why you wrote the book. Well, what's what's interesting about it is that oftentimes when we think about Islamic finance, we think about the prohibition of riba, uh, as you mentioned. And yet, uh, for a lot of Islamic finance, we're still struggling with fulfilling that prohibition. We haven't sort of moved beyond that point. There are many, many transactions in which uh, Islamic financial transactions that are deemed compliant by way of a fatwa uh, where riba is present, uh, oftentimes explicitly, uh, very obviously, uh, sometimes it's implicit. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the industry has advanced uh, in the 15 years quite a bit, but I remember early, early on uh, doing transactions, writing the contracts where I would literally have the interest-bearing loan agreement on my left uh, and I would have a lease agreement on my right and I was just drafting the two together so that they would mirror one another and they would integrate with one another uh, through very deft and opaque drafting at times. Uh, and, you know, you sit back and you wonder, uh, isn't God watching? Uh, and I talked a little bit about this uh, in, in one of my first blog pieces on the challenges of Islamic spirituality uh, towards Islamic finance. So I, I've seen a lot in the last 15 years. I'm privy to a lot of the inner workings and things that uh, stakeholders of the industry, consumers of the industry um, really don't know about. They really don't see. There are a lot of heart-wrenching decisions, difficult decisions uh, that have to be made uh, morally and ethically uh, by Islamic finance practitioners. Uh, and then there are other practitioners who want to put sort of a, a veneer or a wrapper around something and call it Islamic. Uh, and yet we have to have it functioning like something that it's, that, 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 that the, that, that we understand is not Islamic, you know, uh, oftentimes just, you know, sort of straight out haram. Um, so I see a lot of the challenges and obstacles. There are some legal ones, some regulatory ones. There are political ones. There's lack of education. Uh, certainly within our community yeah, here in the States, uh, there's a certain sense that people think they know what Islamic finance is. Um, and yet they oftentimes really don't fully kind of comprehend that. Uh, but I think the what I've sort of settled on is that the primary challenge, uh, the core challenge facing Islamic finance is a spiritual one. It's an ethical one uh, where we have to want uh, what the divine wants and not want what the divine doesn't want. Uh, and I think that's where uh, a lot of the um, sort of persistent skepticism about Islamic finance from its stakeholders, from even its practitioners, uh, originates. And I think we need to kind of address, address and engage uh, that skepticism uh, in a much more constructive and positive fashion. I think for for myself, and I'm sure for a lot of listeners, that when we think of Islamic finance, or we think of specifically someone like you who is involved in Islamic finance, we wouldn't necessarily think of someone who is driven by a spiritual imperative, 
you know, that's not sort of our idea or conception. It's like, you know, people who are you know, busy, busy with numbers and they're just looking at cold, hard uh, regulations and rules. And I thought it was really interesting actually at the very beginning of your book, uh, in your, in your forward to the book, um, in, in, in acknowledging the people who have helped you in, in, in this effort, uh, that you mentioned one of the first people you mentioned was Sheikh Mukhtar Magrawi as, and as he was, as he was, uh, even telling you, will you write? And I was wondering if you could maybe just give a little background to that and how that propelled you or motivated you to really um, to move forward with the book? Well, I was sitting in a masjid uh, in upstate New York with him uh, going back uh, probably close to three years now. And uh, we were sitting up against the columns in the uh, atrium uh, of the masjid. And uh, uh, I was uh, looking for a different path professionally. And I, I, I told him about my misgivings about continuing on uh, in the industry uh, and, and wanting to do something that was different. Uh, and I talked to him about some of the, the, uh, the challenges that I experienced and some of the concerns I have. Uh, you know, how, do, how does one stand before the creator? Uh, and uh, and uh, he's just sort of very gently and probably won't even remember this. Uh, he asked, well, will you be writing anything about that? Um, and it sort of planted a seed that maybe I should write. Uh, and I thought I would write later in my career. Uh, my sort of magnum opus right, to, right. Uh, you know, to the, uh, to my experiences, but I felt compelled, uh, to write, uh, to write now. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I did, alhamdulillah. I, I like you to sort of speak more to the spiritual dimension and why you think exactly spirituality is relevant to, um, Islamic finance and even just Muslim businesses, uh, generally speaking. Sure. Uh, I'll probably step back a little bit and, uh, and say that one of the, we, we talked about this skepticism about Islamic finance. And I have this, I'm often asked, what is Islamic finance? Uh, is it Islamic? Uh, and uh, it's a challenging question to answer. Uh, Islamic finance is often perceived by a lot of financial engineering, heavy structuring, complexity, uh, and you have to really, you know, explain why this is the way this is, why this is the way that is, how this is that way, and why this is that way, why certain things are being tolerated, where there may be compromises, where context is coming into play. Um, and I think what oftentimes Muslims um, miss is that Islamic finance is no more than a reflection of the state of affairs of Muslims themselves and their communities. So uh, the early thinkers and pioneers of Islamic finance, you know, envisioned something that would address questions of wealth distribution, poverty, economic development. And now we have from my generation uh, to, to, to the coming generations in Islamic finance questions being asked about, well, are we achieving the maqasid? Are we achieving the objectives of the sharia? And it's a, you know, it's a pretty difficult question to answer and maybe one that's not entirely fair given how tiny Islamic finance really is. Uh, so I sort of step back and say, well, well, why aren't we? If we're applying, uh, you know, the rules properly, then what are we missing? And, uh, you know, I sort of settled on this idea that if this is our challenge, this spiritual challenge, and that's the core one that we're facing, um, what could Islamic spirituality offer Islamic finance that it's missing right now? And certainly at an individual level, taking on the path of tazkiyah or tasawwuf, however you want, you know, to, to, to purification name it, of the purification the heart. of the heart and, uh, and the self and, and character development, um, at an individual level, that's critical. And that's an, uh, that's an obligation individually for us to undertake. Something that we typically don't, uh, you know, we typically do not associate that with our spiritual life. 
we tend to divorce our financial transactions. I think for a lot of Muslims in America and elsewhere, you know, we're very strict about certain things. Like maybe we're very strict about the halal meat, right? Mm. But, you know, when we think about the, the, the financial things or, or buying a home or all these sorts of uh, transactions, uh, we sort of tend to be a little bit more um, lax about them or we don't consider them as, well, I just I need to do these things, you know, to live in the society. Yeah. So uh, it's definitely, I think, <laughs> we, do, we definitely don't connect those two a lot of the time. No, I, I definitely think that's, you know, that, that's the case. I think we, we take these principles or we can take these principles of Islamic spirituality. Um, and this is what the, really the book is about and of taking them and applying them at a collective level, mm-hmm. uh, applying them to individual transactions and whole organizations, creating trust and honesty and transparent governance, creating consultative mechanisms and frameworks of how organizations operate, how transactions are implemented and designed uh, to begin with. Uh, and I think those notions of tazkiyah, tasawwuf, purification, when they're applied at these levels, we can see in Islamic finance that will bring about positive impact, that brings about environmental care and concern, that brings about social welfare. Uh, and, and, you know, just kind of uh, going back to something you, you had just said, uh, I think Muslim communities, uh, at least in the U.S., uh, which are the ones I'm going to be more familiar with, they have sort of ignored money. In, in, a, in a sort of a curious fashion, if you typically look at conference agendas, if you took, typically look at the different organizations that are out there and what they're doing, there's a lot of good work. There's a lot of necessary work. Uh, but we're not talking a whole lot about how we earn, uh, how we invest, uh, how we create financial sustainability for organizations, communities, families, and how we consume. Uh, well, the consumption part, I think, gets a good bit of attention. Right. Um, yeah. You know, talking about, you know, restraining ourselves yeah, definitely, from, yeah. you know, this, that or the other. Um so I think that uh, the, the spirituality stuff is, is incredibly relevant, uh, and I think we need to pay more attention uh, to money, uh, but, uh, you know, not in and of itself, but how is it a tool and a vehicle uh, by which we uh, worship uh, the divine? Uh, yeah, know? definitely. I mean, I, I think in, in my own uh, conversations with many people that this component of, like, you know, where do we invest how do we earn or, and, and the ethics that go into both of those for the people who even are aware of that, that should be an issue, a, a paramount issue in, in their minds. They don't really even know where to go because there's just, it tends to be an under, underserved topic, uh, in our discourse. Um, and so even the people who do have that consciousness, that spiritual consciousness, there's not many guidelines or, um, resources that they feel that they have. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's, I think that's very true. I, I think, We've seen improvement. We've seen growth over the last 15 years. I think specifically speaking about American Muslims, we need to be able to understand our faith so deeply that we can articulate it in a fashion that uh, lay people from within our communities, as well as people from other faith communities and markets can appreciate uh, so they can understand the value of what it is that we're bringing. Um, what I mean is, you know, if, if we limit, uh, if we create a product, a financial product or service and we just limit it to the Muslim community, we're ignoring, you know, the vast majority of the American population, which, uh, from a business standpoint, uh, isn't, you know, sort of the greatest thing. And, you know, in terms of, uh, um, conveying, uh, the value, uh, and the, uh, the welfare that our faith offers, uh, to humanity. There's, we've also limited ourselves in that regard. So I think we need to, you know, step back and, um, stop being so limiting and start talking about, you know, how does our Sharia, 
um, guide us in business? And why does it guide us in that fashion? What are those benefits and how do we articulate those in a language that anyone can understand and that anyone can appreciate and value so that the financial services and products that we're offering and creating they're not just limited to, you know, one or two million people in the U.S. Uh, and I think there's an opportunity uh, that we have uh, to create a dialogue and a discussion. And that's part of what this book is about with the worlds of impact investing and socially responsible investing, create a dialogue, create a discussion. Um, there's a lot that the two worlds have in common. And there's a lot that both can learn from one another. Uh, and, and And we should see some more partnerships. Uh, between and among them. Uh, <clears throat> and that can, I think, offer a lot more uh, in terms of options uh, and uh, for for investing. Uh, so so I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that we need to elevate our concept of Islamic finance to something that is truly aligning itself with the, the maqasid, the goals of the sharia in terms of where we, it's not just about the minutia of the transaction, it's about the ultimate goal of the entire enterprise, and it's and it's to benefit not just Muslims, but not but everybody of other faiths and other people. Just benefit the whole society at large. Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting, uh, and um, I don't remember the name of the person in the book, but um, he was an acclaimed uh, economist, uh, and I may be misquoting it. But he said, you know, when you look at the tran- these transactions, they are permissible by Islamic the regulations, but they don't feel or look Islamic. Um, and I think that's for a lot of the lay people, they feel the same way and that, that a lot of the things we may do or a lot of things that are attributed to Islamic finance, um, they may be by the letter of the law, like fitting, fitting that, um, that permissibility, but they just don't seem that it's really calling to a higher level of, uh, or higher vision. One of the, one of the, the, the fascinating things I think about your, your thesis in the book is that, is about this uplifting of, uh, our concept of Islamic finance because you speak very positively like in terms of positive goals that we should have. Our concept of Islamic finance, as we said in the beginning, it tends to be very negative. Okay, what we can't do. Well, we can't, we just have to make sure we don't do interest or we don't do a qarar or anything, uh, some of these you know, very important parts of Islamic finance. But we don't look at the other side of what we need to do, where we need to elevate things, that, that positive element. And, and I think like maybe perhaps we can talk first about a, a good a concrete example of this in terms of you talk at length about our relationship with the environment and how Islamic finance can positively affect the world around us and, and our natural environment. Sure. I, know I like very much this, uh, this word that you've used about elevation. Um, and it, it is about articulating and creating Islamic finance that speaks to those universals. And it's also about understanding that the particulars, the minutia, actually tie into notions of social responsibility. You know, riba would appear to have a real strong tie with creating participatory markets, economies, and transactions where there is risk sharing as opposed to risk shifting. And that's something that I think, you know, if we can begin to use language like that, then we begin to create something that uh, parallels that language. And then we broaden out the applicability, the relevance and, you know, not to be crass about it, but even market share. Mm-hmm. And as far as, a, you know, the, a concrete example, I think a couple of them come to mind and, and certainly one on the natural environment. We have uh, a rich discourse in, in the Quran and in the Sunnah uh, about the consciousness of uh, the natural environment and its diverse constituents, that they are in remembrance of the divine, and that there is even an interaction between humans and non-humans uh, in those spiritual dimensions and realms. 
And there is a also, you know, a, quite a bit of history and tradition in our jurisprudence and amongst our scholars uh, about uh, how we should interact with the environment. Uh, and I think that readily translates into businesses, not only banks, but businesses generally, uh, that uh, their, their operations, their products, their services, all of that uh, has to properly take into account the natural environment and its you know, the, the non-human creation as stakeholders uh, of businesses and of human behavior. Uh, so that that is is uh, is certainly something that's been ignored quite a bit by business generally. And now we're beginning to appreciate with the looming planetary crisis that you know, maybe we ought to do something about this now. Uh, and uh, there's quite a bit that's been done by others that Islamic finance can learn from. And again, Muslims can learn from uh, as uh as well. And uh, if we have time for another example or two, I'm happy. Uh, actually, and one of the examples I think you gave in that specific about the environmental, you give of the example of, of green sukuk. If you could just maybe give a capsule of what you, what that means. I know a lot of our listeners may not understand what sukuk is. Maybe you can just give a quick definition of that and why, how it is being used now, but how we can make that green as an example for like a practical example for people to understand. Sure, sure. So uh, sukuk is uh, an instrument uh, that uh, entitles an investor or its holder uh, to participate in the income from a particular asset or activity. Uh, it has been analogized to bonds, uh, unfortunately, and a lot of sukuk end up looking quite a bit like uh, like bonds. Uh, but leaving you know that problem aside, uh, that's what a sukuk is, and the idea was uh, that there uh, that sukuk could be used and should be used to support uh, products uh, and uh, projects uh, and transactions that have uh, first you know that that are limiting the harm that's being done to the natural environment, uh, and then even better that are uh, trying to have a positive effect uh, on uh, on the natural environment in terms of how we. Uh, how we may live our lives and so forth. Uh, and uh, so hopefully that, that gives kind of a flavor of, of what a green sukuk is. And, and we see uh, green financial instruments having, uh, you know, preceded uh, the green sukuk uh, from conventional worlds of socially responsible investment and so on. Uh, so the idea, again, was to find uh, and identify wisdom elsewhere and say that this is in consonance and congruence with the Sharia. And it is, in fact, you know, there is a strong impetus from within the Sharia for Muslim uh, business owners uh, to be uh, to be fulfilling. I think it's the third chapter of the book that gets, you know, quite a bit into how we can identify the right types of projects and and initiatives and create vehicles that support uh, the, these initiatives. And wherever we find these as American Muslims, and we're, if we're looking for investment, that's something that we ought to be considering, uh, certainly. Before we, we get into maybe some other examples, I, on the investment side, interesting thing um, that you brought up in the book, which I, I, I feel also is something that goes in line with how we very oversimplify our idea of Islamic finance in terms of investments in, say, companies and stocks. Uh, right now, uh, a lot of the screens or the way we screen what is a halal investment uh, a company is based on the uh, just pretty much interest or uh, gambling or alcohol, things like that. But uh, I, I, one of the things I really appreciated is how you pointed out that there um, we need to look at other parameters in our investments, both negatively and positively. The negative side 
uh, not investing in uh, in companies that, for example, have bad business practices or uh, you know have uh, bad labor practices, which is something that is not in these screens that these typically um, that we typically use. And positively looking at things that are positively co- um, contributing to the community or contributing to the environment, it really expands our worldview in terms of how or how we should invest. You know, one of the hallmarks of Islamic finance, one of the landmarks, I should say, was uh, this fatwa uh, by the Dow Jones uh, indexes uh, to create these screens to begin with, where one filtered out certain haram businesses uh, and then one added in financial ratios to speak mm-hmm. to uh, the prohibition of riba in particular. Uh, and in that fatwa, they, the, the scholars begin to touch upon animal welfare, labor practices, and so forth. And now it's, you know, it's high time that we begin to implement some of these screens uh, and uh, so that we are screening out companies that have egregious behavior with their workers, for example, uh, or the you know incredibly negative impacts on the environment uh, and so forth. And we've unfortunately seen some instances where there were companies sitting in the portfolios of Islamic funds that other uh, ethical or socially conscious investors had screened them out, uh, and uh, we had deemed them Islamic. And it turned out they had you know quite a you know poor record vis-a-vis, let's say, labor, for instance. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not proper that, uh, that others are uh, ahead of us in a sense mm-hmm. in achieving goodness. Uh, we should be right there, uh, you know, with them learning from others and, uh, and, and implementing our deen in these aspects, uh, as well. Uh, some of these things are harder, uh, to identify and to create, uh, more precision around. There's an, you know, an inherent indeterminacy or ambiguity, uh, about some of these things. Uh, but, uh, that's where the effort on the part of the servant is required, uh, to, to create a framework, uh, that begins to match the Sharia and track it, uh, as best as we can and to add these layers in. Um, so, you know, socially responsible investment has had these negative screens that Islamic finance has, and there's movement towards positive screening now where we're looking for businesses that have that positive impact and, and we need to start to be doing uh, much the same. One of the things that you, uh, that you consistently do throughout the book is you translate these core concepts of tazkiyah, the purification process of the heart, and you translate that and apply that to um, examples of Islamic finance. And one of them, which I thought was particularly interesting, was um, how you discuss the muraqaba and how that somehow can apply to Islamic finance. I wonder if you could uh, talk about that for a little bit. Sure. Um, so, you know, by way of background, muraqaba very briefly is uh, this principle and this practice uh, that one is aware of uh, the divine vigilance and uh, the watchfulness of Allah inside ourselves uh, and, and not only of what our limbs do. Uh, and going back to something I talked about early on in my career when I had the loan and the lease documents kind of side by side, uh, you know, simply because something is not explicitly mentioned uh, on a piece of paper, is it then unknown to the divine? You know, I, I think the answer to that question is, is, is should be pretty straightforward. Um, so then I sort of sat back and I said, you know, what is it about our contracts uh, that 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 creates this skepticism and this, you know, Islamic finance is just changing the word pro- interest to profit, right, which, right. which first of all is completely false. Um, and yet, you know, maybe what we've done is still not good enough. Um, 
And so how do we how do we address and engage that skepticism and create transparency uh, and create transactions that are more easily explained? Uh, and so you know, there's certainly a, you know a jurisprudence around contracts, what makes a valid contract, what's make what makes a permitted contract, and so forth. And you know the piece that seemed to me uh, to be often unsaid in his contemporary Islamic finance literature was this idea that overarching all of this is Tazkia is uh, you know, in more particularly this notion of muraqaba, uh, the awareness uh, of the divine. So the idea was that uh, muraqaba should bring our inner intent uh, in line with our external manifestation of, you know, be it a contract or some other form of uh, overt action. Uh, and and that, transpar- that transparency brings a certain harmony between the two. Uh, and, and that's an example of how muraqaba, I think, uh, could be used in the realm of bi- it could be and should be used in the realm of business and contract drafting. You know, when we talk about finance in particular, uh, it's not uncommon in Islamic finance that we're talking about the financing of an asset, be it a home or an airplane or a ship. Uh, uh, but really, what we're what we're what we're talking about is pricing the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, how do we bring the intent? Uh, uh, and the object of financing together with the purpose of financing and how do we create uh, that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that, that sort of transparency and that almost sort of uh, to make the transaction more straightforward uh, in, in a sense. And that, again, will tie in with notions of muhasaba, also self-assessment, self-evaluation, right. you know, where we are you know, taking account of what it is that we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. Uh, and making sure our contract, you know, transparently uh, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, cleanly uh, states uh, the reality of things as known by the divine already. Uh, another concept that you mentioned is the concept of haya. Um, and that's something that uh, typically we associate with uh, our uh, personal modesty or bashfulness, uh, something that's you know, something very private and how you the decorum that you have when you're around people. Um, I, I think uh, I myself found it surprising that somehow you, again, are able to translate this into a financial um, financial lens. So I'd like to hear something about that, too. Yeah, I think I'm still surprised myself. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I mean, a lot of the Islamic finance work I've done is for foreign investors, for non-U.S. investors. Um, and certain parts of the country uh, or sorry, certain parts of the world really love U.S. real estate. So a lot of the work I did was real estate development and real estate acquisition in the U.S. Um, by Islamic investors. And uh, <clears throat> this notion of haya, as you mentioned, is uh, sort of a twin or goes hand in hand with uh, with faith. Um, and our fiqh, it was so interesting to me as I was doing the research for this book, uh, expresses Hayat in the built environment. Uh, and by built environment, I mean architecture, urban planning, the structure of our homes, uh, and the Sharia urging us, scholars urging us to take into account the design of our homes and our towns and cities and how that has an impact on us individually and collectively, spiritually and socially and economically. Now, Tazkiyah is focused on purifying the heart or the inner of, of the person. Uh, and accordingly, when we translate, when we manifest that uh, in, in every realm of our life, and that includes, you know, the built environment and architecture, now we're designing properties where we're taking into account uh, rooms, uh, stru- you know, the placement of rooms vis-a-vis one another, lines and uh, lines mm-hmm. of access, lines of sight, um, and, and all of that reflecting modesty and privacy. 
Um, and it was so interesting to me to, you know, to find how that inner of the home was the one that was most decorated. And there, and, and there was often this courtyard, which was sort of like the right. club that opened, you know, to, to the skies and to the heavens. So how we are designing our buildings, how we are, uh, supporting real estate investment, uh, should support, uh, our values. Uh, and perhaps there would be some, you know, contextual limitations to, to some of that. But certainly uh, the notion of privacy is something that when we as an Islamic investor or developer are building apartments is something we could take into account in a fashion that, you know, without, um, uh, you know, you know, forcing anything but very gently and very subtly create these things that would be of value and uh, to, to people generally and not only to Muslims. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, that it, it was really the, the tremendous support of Islamic finance for real estate and then saying, well, what more can we do with real estate? We can create real estate that is environmentally conscious, the materials and the processes that are used to build the build, to build the structures, you know, how people live and consume inside those structures should be, uh, cognizant of the rights of the natural environment uh, and the balance of creation, uh, but even the very walls themselves, uh, you know, we, we, we can, uh, where we can take these things into account, uh, we certainly should and sometimes must. A very, uh, almost if you like warm-hearted financial realm. It, I think we think of finance as very cold and like, you know, just numbers and, you know, definitely for a lot of Americans, Muslim and otherwise, who have uh, had to deal with a lot of financial cri- the financial crisis in the last uh, you know ten ten years or so. Um, there has been the, just the perception of this distance of our financial markets and this very just cold hearted relationship between uh, high finance and the rest of society. So you know it warms the heart in a way that this vision of uh, Islamic finance is is rooted in this you know that we're all as a society together and that it has to be built on that cooperation and support of one another. At the end of the book. Um, you outline a, vi- a vision about um, Islamic finance, and I, I want to ask you if you could you could just uh, share that vision with us. And then uh, um, it's a two part question. After doing so, your advice, because obviously you're you're in the sphere um, and you're a specialist. Most of the people listening are not specialists. Most of us are, are just going about our, our day and our regular uh, regular work. And I'd like to hear also your thoughts and advice for for the majority of us in what we can do to you know facilitate this this vision of this elevated Islamic finance uh, to go forward. Having lived uh, outside the U.S. for brief periods of time, uh, I noticed just how small American Muslims are as a community in numbers and in influence. Uh, I noticed also how far away we are. It sometimes seems from the rest of the world, which is very active, you know, with uh, with one another. Uh, and I mean that geographically primarily, but then that has implications uh, in, in other realms of life. And we're far away from the center of Islamic finance, even though the U.S. has been um, an important market for innovation in Islamic finance. Uh, but the American Muslim community has had to develop some of its own uh, products and services to speak to its needs as the, you know, the general, you know, force or thrust of Islamic finances uh, has been to cater to, to different audiences. So the question is, is, is Islamic finance just limited to banks and to finance and to certain parts of the world? Um, and how do we create and how do we as American Muslims participate in the creation 
uh, of another Islamic finance that is relevant to our context, our realities, uh, and that speaks to the universals of social environmental responsibility, governance, uh, and so forth. So I have posited this, or you know, this this idea that. Instead of Islamic finance being known for the heavy engineering and structuring and maybe veneer in some in, in some some areas, that Islamic finance should be known for its partnerships with philanthropy. Mm-hmm. We have a rich tradition uh, in theory and in practice of giving, of sadaqah. Uh, we have a rich tradition of uh, waqf, of awqaf, of trusts and endowments that supported everything from water, uh, you know, wells along highways to birds uh, and, and so forth. And yet we don't, we, 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 we haven't really, uh, you know, uh, spoken uh, in response to that tradition. But we have vehicles that are available to us under U.S. law, uh, trusts in particular, uh, that could be utilized to match, parallel, and implement, uh, you know, our our goals and our concerns. So the, the vision that I have is that businesses, be they financial or otherwise, be partnered in whatever capacity with an organization that is giving back to the community. And by partnering, I mean not something that's ad hoc giving, but is uh, an institutionalized part of the business that I'm going to give half a percent or 1% to this particular organization or charitable uh, endeavor and not limit it to uh, Muslim communities uh, within the U.S. only, but to humanity and to those organizations that are uh, implementing our, our, you know, our own, you know, guidelines and teachings and so forth, um, and that um, that that Islamic finance thus be known in commu- you know, in communities and in localities by those partnerships. That here are the Muslims, be they doctors' offices, dry cleaners, or asset managers. Uh, and, and, you know, real estate developers, they give back. Um, and it sort of dawned on me that what a, what a, what a reputation to create if we want to counter uh, Islamophobia, for example, um, not by, you know, purely demanding our rights and pounding on the table, uh, but by saying we're committed. Uh, we're present. We're committed. We are responsible. And then hoping that by enacting that commitment that we first is a form of worship uh, of the divine and then that the divine grants us the right uh, to sit at the table uh, discussing the great challenges and obstacles uh, facing, uh, you know, Americans and humanity generally. MashaAllah, it, it's, it's such a great vision and I really would encourage everyone to go and seek your book. And first, uh, if you could tell us how we can find your book and uh, all those details. Sure. Um, I think it's on Amazon, uh, but to be honest with you, I have not yet checked. Uh, and Palgrave Macmillan is the publisher. Uh, and uh, if uh, if one can go to their website uh, and uh, and look it up under my name, it should pop up uh, pretty readily. Okay, so and the book is entitled again for our listeners: "A Socially Responsible Islamic Finance Character and the Common Good." The author is Omar Mughal. I want to thank you for being on the show. It's been a very enlightening discussion. Uh, please uh, be sure to uh, visit imanwire.com for uh, more podcast episodes and our latest articles, of which Omar, you've written a few actually in the past, and I would uh, advise our listeners to. Uh, check some of those articles uh, um, of his as well on our on Iman Wire. Uh, thank you again for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast uh, so you can keep up on our latest episodes. Leave a review on iTunes and uh, give us your feedback. You can tweet at us at uh, Iman Wired on Twitter and, or email us at uh, Iman Wire 
at almadinainstitute.org. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Assalamu alaikum.